Now, you know me, Justin, I'm relatively well-traveled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently, so that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location at the push of a button, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favorite shows or films. It's a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Paul Ince as a manager to my Paul Ince as a player. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are we? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. I'm slightly disappointed that we don't get paid overtime technically with all this extra work we're doing this week. <laughs> but uh, we'll take it on the chin. We love we loved doing it and can't complain. We're feeling better than Paul Ince, obviously, as well. So everything it's, it's a good day for us. You've been getting paid? Welcome to the number one championship <laughs> podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're looking ahead to the weekend's games in the championship. Another huge weekend as we, how many games we've got left? We've only got five games five. left, haven't we? Yeah, and there's five. so much still at stake, Justin. It's actually ridiculous how unpredictable it is at this point in the season. So we'll go ahead and talk about some of the games. Well, we've got one big game that we're going to put the spotlight on for this weekend. Me and Justin will each make our predictions as usual for the upcoming weekend. Then we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days, including Paul Ince's sacking at Reading, which inevitably happened after we recorded the episode on Tuesday. Shock. And then we'll finish off with Diddy or Dinty right at the end. So in each preview episode of the second tier, Justin and I each pick a team we think is guaranteed to win in the championship this coming weekend and we also pick an outsider to win now ladies and gentlemen justin got all his predictions correct last week and so at the weekend he declared that's proof that he's a championship expert so come on then big boy who's your banker in the championship this weekend i think it's a champion genius as well may have said that um both apply in this in this uh, yeah situation and I think they're going to apply again at the end of this weekend. <laughs> Just we'll setting yourself up massively here, aren't you? I mean, the one I've picked, I think, is is a banker. I've gone with Reading, Burnley, but I've gone with Burnley to beat Reading. It seems an obvious one, obviously, considering that Reading are top of the table and uh, sorry, Burnley are top of the table and Reading are 
uh, are in such a bad run of form. But there's always that new manager bounce. It makes you a little bit uncertain with these sorts of things. But my my logic is Burnley, two things can happen with them. They can either take the foot off their gas. And as I was saying in the previous episode, they could be playing on the piss, basically. Uh, I don't think they will. The second thing is they will put the foot down and try for that points record. Kumpney will want that points record. He'll want to take something away from this championship season. I'm leaning towards that. Whether they get it or not is another thing, but I think company's attitude and mentality and the squad's consistency this season probably lends to a, a foot on the, the gas type scenario rather than, yes, playing hungover. Let's mix that with them conceding just three in their last six games away from home and they're coming up against a Reading side who have scored just five in their last six, failed to score more than once in their last eight since they beat Blackpool in February. So for Reading to claw a victory here, they would have to do something they've not done in a very, very long time. That being said, they've got a new manager, Noel Hunt. We don't know what's going to happen. Reading haven't, uh, also, Reading haven't kept a clean sheet in the last 21 league games. So again, you're leaning towards a very convincing Burnley win here. It's grim reading for them, and my logic there is why, was, why is that going to change against the best team in the league? The only route I can see in is Andy Carroll bullying the Burnley back line. That's the only weakness in this Burnley dif- uh, team, I think, is the height difference. And it's the best defence in the league. So, again, there's not much of an argument I can make for Reading here. Yeah, if you're a Reading fan, then I think you may be looking at this game and just seeing this as a write-off because I struggle to see any way that Reading do get a result here. Obviously, there is the new manager bounce. Well, I say new manager, caretaker manager bounce, which sometimes does yield its own results. And this would be one hell of a scalp for Noel Hunt if he did manage to pull off a result here. But I just cannot see it because Burnley are simply an infinitely better team than Reading are. So, yeah, I, I think Burnley to win here is the obvious banker of the weekend. And I struggle to see anything else, to be completely honest. I suppose the other factor is if Burnley are aiming for the 106 point record, then... Reading will be obviously fighting for life and death exactly, to yeah. try and keep hold of that record <laughs> um, if it means anything to the current batch of players. But we'll see. Um, my banker for the weekend is Luton to beat Rotherham at the New York Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Now, Luton are just a class act. They've shown once again that they're one of the top sides in this league and they're also banging form. They've picked up 21 points when were possible, 27, unbeaten in nine. Only Burnley have won more points than them in 2023, and they've only lost twice this calendar year. Rob Edwards is doing a cracking job there. And if it wasn't enough, their away form is sensational. They've picked up the third most away points this season and haven't lost on their travels since December. It's a very good time to be a Luton Town fan, isn't it? You've got a rock-solid defence which has only conceded two in their last seven games. They've got a midfield, which dominates games, and a striker in Carlton Morris, who's having a brilliant season in his own right. And things are just getting better and better for Luton. And you can't rule out a late push for the top two, but either way, they've got a playoff place in their back pocket already, like a reverse card in Uno. Um, Rotherham look like... They're heading towards safety. They can kind of see Survival Island in the distance (laughs) and they're sailing towards it. They are being helped by QPR's ship facing the wrong way and Reading's ship using its own cannons to blast holes into itself. Uh, Rotherham should be all right, though. A loss against Luton, I don't think, will affect their chances of staying up too much, in my view. 
They've done all right recently. They're unbeaten in three. Although, if I can take a cynical view on that run, they should have been beaten by Hull, who just couldn't get a shot on target against them. They thumped West Brom, although I think 75% of that was down to West Brom playing terribly on Good Friday. And then they drew with Watford, uh, drew with Norwich, sorry, on Easter Monday. And Norwich did not have their shooting boots on at all. So I think Rotherham have been a bit lucky recently. And Luton will provide a much sterner test, which is why I'm backing another win for the Mighty Hatters this coming weekend. Justin, what's your outsider? Because a little birdie told me, you, that your outsider may be linked to this game. It is. I've gone with Rotherham to get a result against Luton. Not necessarily a win, but certainly a result, which... That's not what outsider means, from... Justin. Well, fine. It's going to be a win then. Fine. We'll go with a win. Uh, what my my thinking is behind this is is, is Rotherham's uh, ability to play against the top six and the the results they've been garnering against teams in the top six, even teams in and around the top six. They've got a very good record against of the current top six. So the teams currently in the top six now, they lost just two games in nine. That's seriously impressive for a side battling against relegation or have been battling against relegation this season. I know Luton are very good defensively as well, but Rotherham are the fourth highest home scorers in the league. That's, again, seriously impressive for a team who have lacked firepower until Jordan Hugel came in. And even so, he's he's had a bit of time to get going. Or he's found it not difficult to get going, but he's taken time to yeah to, to really start to hit the, hit the road with Rotherham. It is hard to find weaknesses in this Luton side at the moment. They're very good. They're on a very good run of form. But we've got to respect Rotherham's record against sides in the top six. They will want to upset Luton. And I think the way Rotherham will want to play won't suit Luton. They will want Luton to have more of the ball. Rotherham will be direct and aggressive, which, again, might suit the Luton back line. They like that sort of game. But Hugo's going to be a very awkward customer to play against. And given his uh, brace last week against West Brom, I think he's going to be in good spirits and good form. And as I say, Rotherham are in a very good moment at this time and I think they'll nick a result and certainly nick a win 1-0 set piece Jordan Hugo clean sheet yeah I think the basis you're going off there is they've got a good record against the top six so why couldn't they get a result against Luton but for me Luton are a much different beast to the other sides in the top six like your Mills and Blackburns for example who Rotherham have got results against this season um, so I, that, that, I see Luton as, as a much sterner test, if you see what I mean. The context of the timings of the fixtures does come into this a, a little bit. But that being said, they've still managed to get those results at times when they shouldn't have been, really. When you look at that Blackburn game where Rotherham's run of form was horrendous. And yes, they were fortunate because they basically had four shots on target and scored four goals. But nonetheless, they still managed to keep a clean sheet. I think they're going to make it awkward for Luton. They're going to make it difficult. It's going to be a game that's going to be tight. It's going to be close. And I think Rotherham will, will, will edge it. I think they've got that capability to it. And they've shown that Sheffield United away, even Sheffield United um, at home. They've got the capability to hold off against a very good team at a very good time of the season for them. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not budging at all. I'm sticking with this pick. It's a good pick. Get over it. You're entitled to your opinion, Justin, but you're a stupid idiot. My outsider for this weekend is Huddersfield to win away at Swansea on Saturday afternoon. You're not a stupid idiot, Justin, I love you. Thank you. Um, Huddersfield to win away at Swansea on Saturday afternoon. Neil Warnock is loving life at Huddersfield, isn't he? He's 
turning up to work every day absolutely pissing himself because he's once again proving everyone wrong. Huddersfield looked like they were down and out, but 11 points from a possible 15 against five teams all in the top half of the table. They now look as if they could remarkably survive. And it's completely insane because they're one of the teams you'd least like to face in the championship right now. They're working their socks off for each other like they weren't before under Mark Fotheringham mainly. Jack Radoni's been in great form recently. He's now found his shooting boots too. Matty Pearson's got four goals in three games. You're a defender, Matty. Calm down. They're just so much better going forwards than they were. And to be to be fair, they're shipping a fair few goals, but we can let that slide because at the moment they're outscoring teams. They're coming up against Swansea, who have started to pick up in fairness. They've won as many games in their last four as they managed in their previous 23. And if they didn't have such a terrible winter, they would probably still be in the playoff conversation and might even be in a similar position to Preston where... They're having a late playoff push out of nowhere. Joel Pirro's found form, scored twice on Monday. They've tightened up at the back as well when that was a huge problem for Swansea over the last few months. However, their season is over and they come up against a Huddersfield side who are just raring to go in each game. Swansea have conceded the second most goals in the division from set pieces as well. Matty Pearson will be licking his lips at that particular stat. And I was also stunned to see Swansea odds on with the bookies for this game. So this looks the most obvious shock of the weekend for me. So I'm going for Huddersfield to continue their remarkable form away at Swansea this coming weekend. What do you think, Justin? The biggest shock for me to come out of this game is if it doesn't finish 3-3 or at least 3-3 <laughs> this has got goals written all over it and I agree with you to some extent about Huddersfield but also given that Swansea have hit a good patch of form and their style of play I, I you go back to Huddersfield game on, on Monday against Blackburn where they just in that second half I was really unimpressed by what Huddersfield tried to deploy basically it was it was a back six, back seven at times when they were just inviting pressure and didn't really get forward or try to break forward, but they were just so deep, it was impossible. I think it's going to be more of the same against Swansea. But then again, the set pieces aspect of this against Swansea for Huddersfield, I'm licking my lips at this. I'm thinking I could get something here. Um, so I, I, I think it's going, to, it's going to at least be 3-3. And whoever edges it, it's going to be beyond the 80th minute. This is going to be an absolute slug match of just tired, boxer punches and like no defence at all. This is going to be a fun game, but not for not for either supporter, definitely not for Huddersfield fans. But I might be inclined to agree with you. I think Huddersfield could edge it. You were saying that you reckon you could have scored a set piece in this game. Yeah, yes. Do you how, how many headers did you score in your Sunday league career? Um I didn't score any headers. I scored three goals in my whole duration of my life including one penalty. Give over. No, you, you. I've played with you and you've scored more than three goals. 11 aside, I haven't. I scored one penalty. No, sorry, one penalty, one free kick and then two from set pieces. I'm pretty sure I've seen you score a header before, but no. we'll let that slide. The one thing I can guarantee from this game is Swansea will have somewhere in the region of 75% possession. <laughs> they will absolutely dominate this game in terms of having the ball. But Huddersfield have shown recently they don't need the ball. They are very effective with the ball and they will be on the break 
very, very dangerous for Swansea. So that's something they've got to keep in mind. Have a Russell Martin side this weekend. But yeah, I still fancy a Huddersfield result, whatever the case. The final thing that we'll talk about ahead of this weekend, Justin, is the big game. And we've picked Blackpool against Wigan at Bloomfield Road on Saturday afternoon. Now, there's a very good chance that this will be a League One fixture next season. But whoever loses this is essentially relegated, aren't they, Justin? Yeah, you're pretty spot on. Neither side are very good. Neither side are very good, and it's very difficult to pull them apart as to as to who who's going to edge this one. But as you quite rightly say, whoever loses this, if I think I don't think a draw suits either side either. So I think a no. draw or a loss, um, we'll see one or two sides relegated, at least mentally relegated, not math, not mathematically yet, but at least you know from our perspective, we'll see a team definitely definitely put the R on them from from us although not officially as I say so yeah yeah neither side are very good and it's it's quite difficult to separate them well as it's as good as officially really isn't it because yeah. say there was a draw then Blackpool who were just above Wigan by one point they'd have to get how many points is it they'd have to get five points from their remaining four games which considering Blackpool's Points have been few and far between recently. It's very difficult to see happening. So a win is a must for both teams in this in this particular game. We're going to have become a competitive side under Sean Maloney. I think we both agree that mm. they may very well be two or three places higher, maybe even more if they appointed him instead of Colo Torre in the back end of last year. Blackpool have taken one last roll of the dice by sacking Mick McCarthy and giving Stephen Dobby the job until the end of the season. It's last chance saloon for these two teams isn't it but there's another thing they have in common and they're both struggling for firepower massively Blackpool haven't had a striker on the pitch in the last two games because they're all injured I'm not sure if Jerry Yates will be back but he's only scored one goal from open play in the league since October so you've also got Wigan who have really struggled for goals since Maloney's come in he's tightened them up at the back in fairness to him which has led to Plenty of draws, but they've only scored seven goals from his 13 games in charge. And that's been a real problem for them. So with that being said, I'm predicting a goalless draw between these two. I think we'll see a nervy game anyway, where they cancel each other out and essentially condemn both sides to relegation, leaving the two sets of fans to comfort each other in the stadium afterwards. What do you think, Justin? I don't think there'll be much comforting. I think Maloney will see this as a free hit because I think... With Wigan, I think they know they're already down. They don't score enough goals. They're fully aware of the situation. They have a point deduction, a point deduction as well. I think they're fully aware of the situation. I think Maloney's going to want to release the handbrake. Well, not release the handbrake, but he wants his players to express themselves. He said against Swansea that he wants to play on the front foot against them uh, on Monday. It didn't pay off, but they could do that against Blackpool and it could pay off. Blackpool have conceded three in their last four games, or at least three in their last four games, and they failed to win 22 of the last 24, which is grim, by the way. That is, uh, to not have won, a, I don't know, more than one of those games, at the very least, is, is awful reading. And one of those was a 6-1 win, which is absolutely staggering. Mm. But as, a, as I was saying, I think this will suit Wigan more than it will suit Blackpool. I think there's more pressure on Blackpool, even though they've just sacked their manager. They probably know they're down themselves. But I think Maloney will see it as a free hit. He'll want the players to express themselves. And I think we'll see a surprise result from Wigan in that they will score more than one goal. Whether Blackpool get back into it without firepower going forward, I don't know. But I fancy a Wigan win here. Two goals to nil. I'm very confident in that. It's definitely very hard to separate these two teams, yeah. isn't it? Because they are just looking so 
relegated, for lack of a better term. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days. And boy, is there plenty for us to talk about. back to the second tier podcast and now it's time for this yes it's time for the news and Paul Ince has been sacked as Reading manager inevitably it was announced less than an hour after Tuesday's episode was released which was just so predictable football clubs have absolutely no respect for podcasters like ourselves uh, former striker Noel Hunt will take charge for the remainder of the season. We spoke at length about Ince's impending sacking on Tuesday. So if you want to hear more about that, then I'd urge you to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. Justin, before he got sacked, Ince said Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola wouldn't be getting more out of the players available. What do you think of that particular quote? It's a big statement and not really a surprise from Paul Ince, given his lack of a Ability to inspire confidence in his players in post-match press conferences. All he does is seem to dig at them. I do sympathise him, sympathise with him because of the injuries. That being said, you've got two elite coaches there. You've you've tried to to tag in a um, in a statement, and both of those coaches will almost undoubtedly get more out of this team than than Paul Ince will. And that's that's mainly down to their ability to adapt teams to uh, to play to their strengths. And it's not not necessarily playing a tiki-taka style of football or a high-press style of football, but it's playing to that team's strengths. And the strengths are not just lumping it to Andy Carroll and seeing what happens. It, that is the, it's too simplistic. It's too easy to play against from Paul Ince. And his inability to identify that himself is just bizarre, really. I think he is onto something. I think he is correct to an extent. I think Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola would be getting more out of the players available. However, I don't think a realistic appointment for Reading would be able to get more out of the players available. Paul Lintz's football was shocking, admittedly, but he had to play that way, really, because... or. Maybe he didn't have to go as route one as he was, but he, he had to play pretty much long ball because the players there just aren't as good as the other teams in the championship. So you've got to just play to your strengths. And if your strength is hoofing up Tender Carroll, then, you know, fair play. I think he's also done a much better job than I ever expected him to do. So you keep in mind the transfer restrictions that Reading had attracting players has been a nightmare because of their business plan which they had to follow so they could only sign players who were asking for or who were basically very low in demand and they could only give a small wage to compared to you know other players in the championship so I do have a lot of sympathy for Paul Ince I will always go back to us ranking him as the worst manager in the championship <laughs> at the beginning of the season but I think he's he, he's done a better job than anyone really expected. And the fact that they would be outside the bottom three right now if it wasn't for the points deduction, I think he deserves credit for that, really. I, I will admit that I was impressed with Vince. You get to January and that's when the drop-off happens. They play a back five and they've not kept a clean sheet in the last 21 games. There's not a semblance of organisation there. And that's 
down to the manager. Obviously, you can blame the players. You can point the finger at the players not doing their jobs, etc. But at the end of the day, the book stops with the manager. They don't create enough going forwards. They don't create enough. The only times they do create is from set pieces. They're disastrously missing Tom Ince at the moment, which tells me that they've not done enough to work on other players' strengths. You've got Lucas Shaw there, one of the best number nines in the division when he gets going. And he's been a shadow of himself under Paul Ince. I said back in February that Paul Ince for me had some credit in the bank because of what he did earlier on in the season. But he had players missing. They had to play a very simplistic style of play that got results. He's failed to evolve it, and that's why he's been sacked. If there wasn't a point deduction, I think he would have lasted until the end of the season. That being said, he didn't inspire confidence amongst the supporters or the players. So it's not a surprise, really. What do you think of them giving it to Noel Hunt for the remainder of the season, Justin? It's a familiar face. They're probably hoping for a bounce. I think there are good players in this team and they just need picking up. I think Paul Ince hasn't left him in a great place. I don't think, as I've mentioned, he's not inspired confidence. I think Noel Hunt's going to come in and probably do that. He's also got a very good chant, which I never heard up until yesterday when I saw a 10-second clip of it. It's a fantastic chant. Hopefully the chant keeps them up then. Um, <laughs> I think Noel Hunt makes sense. He knows the club. In and out, he's got that affiliation with the fan base, which I think goes a long way, particularly when a club is in such a bad state as Reading are in. So why not, if they're going to give the job to someone for the final five games of the season, they may as well give it to someone like him. So I've seen plenty of you know former Reading players as well wishing him the best of luck. So he seems like a very popular guy amongst those as well. But what's he like as a manager? Not a clue. But we can only wait and see, can't we? Because things can't have got much better than they were under Ince because results were just shocking, weren't they? Um, so best of luck to you, Noel Hunt, I suppose. The nominations have been announced for the EFL Awards. Now, these are the awards which pale in comparison to the much more highly regarded second tier awards. Not long now until it's that time of the year, Justin. But <laughs> with regards to these Tin Pot Awards, Vincent Company, Michael Carrick and Mark Robbins are in the running for the Championship Manager of the Season. Middlesbrough's Chuba Akpom, Coventry's Vicky Ocarez and Burnley's Josh Brownhill have been shortlisted for Championship Player of the Season. I've got to say... I'm a bit surprised Mark Robbins was in there for manager of the season. Now, he's continuing to do a great job in charge of Coventry, but so far he's taken them from 12th last season to 9th at the time of recording. I think Rob Edwards, Paul Heckingbottom, even Gary Rowett, they're all more deserving than Robbins, I'd say. In fact, I'd probably even say Tony Mowbray, Ryan Lowe if he gets Preston in the playoffs. Hey, Matt. Who, right. Who's had a better season as a manager, Rob Edwards or Mark Robbins? Who's had to deal with what Mark Robbins has had to deal with this season? Come on. That's on. that's the main reason. What, what do you mean, in terms of the pitch? The pitch fiasco, the stadium issue, the off-the-field issues, the playing squad. He's lost Callum O'Hare and Casey Palmer, two creative midfielders, and he still managed to deliver a top-half finish. He's turned Victor Giocres into the best overall forward in the division, and they still got a shout for the playoffs. They still could get in the playoffs. For me, that is remarkable. Right. Rob Edwards has a much lower budget than Mark Robbins Does has he? at Coventry. And yes, and is fighting, still in the fight for automatic promotion. 
which is a remarkable achievement in itself. Tony Mowbray, you're talking about injuries. Tony Mowbray has been absolutely obliterated with injuries throughout the whole season, has got Sunderland to a top-half finish, which has not been done by a promoted side from League One for years now. Paul Heckingbottom, admittedly, is working with a very good squad, but still has managed to guide Sheffield United to a top-two finish, what from the looks of it. Gareth Rowett's working with a pretty small budget at Millwall, has got them looking like they may very well finish in the playoffs this season. Ryan Lowe, my God, that squad at Preston is not very good at all. And they look like they may very well sneak a top six finish themselves. So I think there are just so many more managers who deserve it more than Mark Robbins. I'm, I'm not saying Mark Robbins is a bad manager, of course. A brilliant manager who's done a brilliant job this season. But I just think there are others who are more deserving personally. You're mad. You're mad. Uh, I, I'm I'm on the Mark Roberts train. I think he's going to miss out to Vincent Company, and rightly so. I think Vincent Company's done a ridiculously impressive job at Burnley. But Mark Robbins, what he's had to deal with this season and what he's delivered is fantastic. And you'd be surprised at how low Coventry's budget is compared to Luton, Millwall. I think they've got one of the lowest ones. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's low. It's They're all low. Yeah, but he, I, I'll admit it's it is one of the lowest, and he still deserves a lot of credit for that. But the pitch thing lasted what five games or so it wasn't yeah, it wasn't something that obliterated their season was it It gave them a bit of a false start but still yeah again if you're looking at small differences had they not had that pitch issue they could well be competing comfortably in the top six right now yeah it disrupted their opening six seven games of the season so it's a lot of if, ifs buts and maybes but you can't discredit the work that robbins has done compared to someone I'm like rob edwards no, no no but comparing it's like rob edwards for example who's picked up from a very Luton in a really good place underneath Nathan Jones Rob Edwards has come in done a good job but he's, has, has he drastically improved that team he's made some tweaks they have improved but is it a better the job than Mark Robbins has done no I don't think it is I think it definitely is I think Luton outside the top six when Rob Edwards took over one team I think I can't, I can't yeah. remember they were, they were outside the top six at one point and now they're one of the only teams who can still finish realistically in the top two, but uh, we'll agree to disagree and we'll continue to refrain from revealing who our manager and player of the seasons are, even though I think the manager one might be fairly obvious, let's be honest. Watford say Chris Wilder will be staying on until the end of the season after speculation he could be sacked. Footy Insider had reported he could lose his job despite only having a contract until the end of the season. Now, various reports say Watford are looking to appoint Italian manager Francesco Farioli for next season. The 34-year-old was most recently in charge of Alanya Spore in Turkey, where he guided them to a fifth-place finish last season, despite being expected to be fighting relegation. Braga are also said to be interested in him in Portugal. You were ringing the bell for Chris Wilder to be given the job next season, Justin. It sounds like that won't be the case. It does sound like that's not going to be the case. It just makes sense for a bit of continuity. Chris Wilder also plays a system that uh, it might suit the current crop of players. I don't know. This current crop of players is mixed between styles. And I think this new coach coming in, I read a small, not a report, but a small article on him or a small piece on him saying this is a style of football he plays. It doesn't sound like it suits the current crop of players again. So there's going to be, it's going to be a need to, to recruit heavily in the summer. I just think Wilder's a, it's difficult with managers coming in because Watford have appointed managers completely out to blue like Zisco for example and they've done very well in the championship um, so it's, it's quite hard to it's quite hard to say who, they, who, who they're going to get and whether they're going to be a success but I think Wilder's a, 
a good pair of hands and I think he's going to put a rocket up their arses, the players' arses, which is clearly what they need. They don't need a manager to come in and coach them. They've had Billich, they've had Rob, Rob Edwards, <clears throat> they've had other managers in the past who've come in and done that and failed. They need a straight talker, maybe like Chris Wilder. So maybe that's been the big difference. Maybe that's been the, the missing ingredient for this, for Watford as a club. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen, unfortunately, and it's down to the ownership. Well, the fact is, Chris Wilder was brought into Watford to get them into the playoffs. And he's completely failed. They've won one game from six against some teams very low down the table. And they've had some shocking results, including being the only team QPR have beaten this calendar year. Now, I don't think he's entirely at fault for that. The players and ownership are more responsible for this season than Chris Wilder is. But if Watford were going to give him the job next season, I'd have liked to have seen at least a bit of evidence that he could mm. turn things around there. But there hasn't been. And they've been abysmal since he's come in. Now, I've admired the way he's spoken out against the bad things at the club. He's essentially said the player's attitude is shit. The way the club is run is shit. Everything is shit. But any manager could do that. If Watford wants a manager who blames the players when they lose, they may as well get Frank Lampard in. <laughs> Don't get Frank Lampard in, for God's sake. <laughs> um, I think Chris Wilder's probably not rubbed people up the right way. And his magic may very well be waning and if I was in charge of Watford I'd, I'd get a fresh pair of eyes in and commit to that manager for a season at least is Francesco Farioli the right man I'm not sure don't know too much about him I mean Watford have appointed unknown managers in the past and it's worked out so why not but if he does get appointed just please Pozzo family please commit to him Commit to a manager for once in your life instead of just giving him the boot after three months if it's not going slightly not as well as you think it should be. Um, Birmingham's owners have entered a period of exclusive negotiation with a party to conclude a sale of the club and the stadium. They've announced on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange that letters of intent have been entered into with a potential buyer. Exciting news for Birmingham fans. We won't get carried away just yet, Justin, because we've been here before and been proven wrong. But hopefully this means the club might finally be at the start of the club being sold. Meanwhile, Matt Suvall, Paul Richardson and Maxi Lopez have all admitted to breaching EFL regulations following their unapproved involvement with Birmingham last year. The three of them have accepted they had acquired control of the club without going through the appropriate sign-off procedure with the EFL. Mr. Suthel has also accepted a charge of misconduct after admitting to signing a false declaration regarding his role as a relevant person under EFL regulations. He's prohibited from being a relevant person for a period of six months, three months of which are to be suspended until the end of next season. Mr. Richardson and Mr. Lopez are banned from being a relevant person for a period of two months and one month respectively, which are also to be suspended until the end of next season. Luton will need to spend around £10 million to upgrade Kenilworth Road so it meets Premier League requirements if they go up this season. Club CEO Gary Sweet told the BBC's Today programme that amongst the things they would have to do is rebuild one stand in less than three months and admits they've got some task on their hands. The realities of promotion, Justin Peach. It's strange, isn't it, that these implications are in place. I mean, why are they fine for the Championship and not fine for the Premier League? It doesn't make too much logical sense. I'll that tell means. you why. I was listening to this interview and apparently it's to do with broadcasting, which is obviously all the Premier League actually care about. 
So the Premier League should foot the bill, right? <laughs> you can make an argument for that, but to be fair, Luton will be getting a lot of money from the broadcasting, so they may want to cater them anyway. No, that's fair. But why would you? I mean, from Luton's perspective, they've got the newest new stadium approved. You wouldn't want to spend ten million pounds on improving Kenilworth Road, would they? Yeah, it's it's a frustrating one. I'm sure they'll have some some sympathies or some. Um, leniency from the Premier League should they get promoted there will be some improvements made but not to that extent I, I'd imagine it just doesn't like building a new stand in three months is nearly impossible unless you build out scaffolding even then I don't know if that's that's possible it's it's the realities of the Premier League it's they're, they're the big boys they they dictate everything don't they we all know that we all we all abide by their rules and we bow to them because that's that's what we're supposed to do is mere ear fellas <laughs> yeah I think this was always going to be a thing that Kenilworth Road would struggle to be a Premier League ground as it is, unfortunately. I absolutely love Premier League. I absolutely love Kenilworth Road, but it probably did need a bit of, you know, a bit of a makeover. A um, paint. I, yeah, I'm assuming the stands that needs rebuilding is the one which are essentially executive boxes along the side. Because if it's to do with broadcasting, it must be that one, mustn't it? And to be fair, I can kind of understand why that stand in particular may not be built to Premier League standards. <laughs> Although at the same time, uh, have you been to Kenilworth Road? Yeah, I've been a few times, yeah. Yeah, the stand with the executive boxes, there isn't much room for no. building work because you've essentially got the boxes, a brick wall, an alleyway, and then there's houses there. Mm -hmm. So there isn't much room for manoeuvre. So I don't know how that's going to work, but it seems like they've been planning ahead for this anyway. But it will be very interesting to see what does happen if they do get promoted. And finally, Udinese have announced the signing of Bournemouth defender Jordan Zamora. He'll officially join the Italian side on the 1st of July when his contract expires. I've included that bit of news because I can 100% guarantee he'll be at Watford next season. Now it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they play for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking the turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on this week. It's Justin's turn to guess and my turn to provide the players and clubs. Although, Justin may very well just be fighting for pride at this point after I got another perfect 10 last week, meaning the score for the season is 127 120 to myself Justin, we each have two goes left this season, do you think it's over for yourself? I need a near perfect score don't I and I need you to have an absolute howler we can't rule it out, uh, out of the realm of possibilities but um, I'm chipped away I'm, I'm half the man I was 10 weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, do you want your first one? May as well. Let's just get it over and done with, shall we? Lee Hendry and Blackpool. Did he or didn't he? He did. You saying that with any confidence? I'm just saying it. Okay, fair enough. Six appearances on loan in 2008. You are spot on. That is one out of one from the Peachmeister. Will Buckley and Sheffield Wednesday. Did he or didn't he? That's an interesting one. Good I don't... He was. Can't recall anything he did, though. He was good at Brighton. He was good at Brighton. That. That was, after yeah, that, uh, went a bit tits up, but yeah. 
I reckon there was a, a I think there was a loan spell at Wednesday um, maybe under Gary Monk so I'm going to say yes he did joined on loan in 2016 and made 11 appearances that wasn't under Gary Monk but no I'll let you <laughs> a long time ago yep. seven years ago oh, don't two out of two Wayne Bridge and Bolton did he or didn't he no he didn't he played for Reading but not Bolton no no I'm going to say confident no he didn't made it up you're right three out of three it's going very well could there be a Wigan style comeback for Justin Peach Steve Harper and Brighton did he or didn't he Geordie Steve Harper Geordie Steve Harper goalkeeper Steve Harper Geordie goalkeeper Steve Harper as he's more popular than I (laughs) I mean I don't I don't think he went past the Humber, the River Humber, in his career. That's Yorkshire, isn't it? Hull. Yeah, but he played for Hull. But I don't think he played for Brighton, right? You said Brighton. I did say Brighton. Yeah. Just can't picture him on the south, on the south coast. Five appearances on loan in 2011. 2011? So I think he must have been at Newcastle. That's a very long way to go for a loan, isn't it? For five games, he was there for a month, probably. Yeah, That's yeah, crazy. That's a long drive. We're going to Google how long that drive is after. Definitely didn't commute. Three out of four, Zach Whitbread and Leeds. Did he or didn't he? Zach Whitbread. What a, what a good player he could be. Unremarkable career because of injuries, but I think I do recall a Leeds loan spell in there. Very, very blonde hair. He didn't, made it all. Wow. So I don't know where you got that from. No, that's that's a tricky one. To be honest, I put it in because I thought he played for Leeds as well. Yeah. And then I checked his Wikipedia and he didn't. So I don't know no. where we both got that idea from, but it means it's three out of five for you, Justin. Five to go. David Cotterell. And Barnsley. Did he or didn't he? <laughs> David Cottrell. Did he or didn't he? Whoa. I mean, if you ask him, he would say, that's what the mainstream media want you to think. <laughs> oh, we could we could definitely record a whole episode based on David Cottrell, but I'm going to say I no to I really Barnsley. don't want to. <laughs> I, I'm going to say yes to Barnsley, by the way. Loan spell. 11 appearances in 2012. Not on loan, actually. Or did he? Or did he? <laughs> Four out of six. Um, next up is Rob Kosluck and Preston. Did he or didn't he? Rob Kosluck, what a player. Oh, I love this. Uh, I don't think he did play for Preston. I can only think of him playing for Sheffield United or Derby, though. So that's a difficult one. But I'm going to say no to Preston. I think he played for Barnsley as well, didn't he? Yes, he did play for Barnsley. That was towards the end of his career. Mm. The rightful passage. One appearance is on loan in 2005. That's in Four out of seven. Jimmy Kebe and Crystal Palace. Did he or didn't he? When would this have happened? Because Pete Kebe was 2006, 2008, nine. He did play for Blackpool, I think. So when would he have gone to Palace? Hmm... Does seem like a Neil Warnock signing where he tries to shoehorn in an aging journeyman winger at some point in the career. But that's after that's after Neil Warnock left. So I'm gonna say no. 
signed in 2013 and made six appearances over two years. Was Four that, out of eight. Uh, that might have been a Warnock year. 2013, uh, he may have had some sort of crossover, but I don't think he signed him. Um, four out of seven. No, four out of eight, sorry. Stephen Dobby and Millwall. Did he or didn't he? There's got to be a Millwall loan spell there. Millwall always seemed to sign a random striker who's quite short for a spell. <laughs> DJ Campbell tall had a spell is there. I think he's only like 5'8", five, 5'9". But they'll always sign a, a sort of a, a technically gifted 5'9", second striker to add a little bit of pizzazz to their attack. Doesn't quite work because they don't quite fit into the style of play at that point. So I'm going to say yes, loan spell, six appearances, no goals. You have just offended hundreds of listeners <laughs> who, who are actually 5'8", and you think they're quite short. Um, he was 5'8", by the way, but he didn't play for Millwall. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Build like a whole narrative on a lie. Yep. Four <laughs> out of nine. And you've offended a lot of our fan base, I imagine. Four out of nine. Your final one. James Henry and Norwich. Did he or didn't he? James Henry. What a scandalous player to include. Didn't you include Hatem Ben Arfa last week, who yeah, didn't yes. play yeah. in the championship at any point in his career? Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. James Henry came through at Reading, uh, was at... Wolves, I think. I'm going to say there was a loan spell at League One Norwich back in the day. Yes. Three appearances on loan in 2008. There we go. Which may very well have been in League One Norwich, I think. That was League One Norwich. There you go. Five out of ten. Yeah. Not a great <laughs> score. I'm on the beach, aren't I? I think you may very well be. That means the, five, well, that means the scores... At the end of this week, are 127, 125 to myself. I think the trophy may be coming home to its rightful place, ladies and gentlemen. But there you go. That's been Diddy or Dinty. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the games coming up this weekend. And we bloody look forward to seeing you then. So it's been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>